This is a Squeeze podcast. We're your shortcut to being informed. Good morning, I'm Larissa Moore. And I'm Claire Kimball. It's Tuesday the 22nd of June. In your Squiz today, Barnaby's back. The Brittany Higgins case in the hands of the prosecutors. Silent spectators allowed at the Tokyo Olympics. And Thunder Bolt. This is your Squiz today. Well, as mentioned yesterday, Claire, it's killing season in politics, the time when leaders need to watch their backs against leadership challenges. And that was all too true for National Party leader Michael McCormack. A spill was called in the party room and Barnaby Joyce got the votes to be reinstalled as leader of the Nationals and the country's deputy prime minister. And we don't know exactly what margin he won by. That's not how the Nationals do it. They don't disclose the vote figures, but that's where we've landed. Barnaby Joyce is back in the big chair, Agriculture Minister and a future potential leadership candidate, David Littleproud, stays on as deputy. McCormack had the indignity of having Mm. to face question time yesterday uh, in the big chair simply because there hadn't been time to swear Barnaby Joyce in as Deputy Prime Minister, so he had to field questions from the opposition. That's uh, a tough day. It was a really brutal day, uh, but he was applauded uh, for a very classy exit. Uh, that's something that we don't see enough of in politics. He was acknowledged by Labor as well. So uh, after that, there's lots of questions about what happens next. For starters, Joyce will be sworn in today, so he will be in the big chair come question time as Prime Minister Scott Morrison is in quarantine at the Lodge after his overseas trip. And then a new leader generally means a new coalition agreement between the Liberals and the Nationals. That's the agreement that outlines policy matters and decides on the allocations of ministries. It could mean a bit of a shake-up ahead of the election whenever that comes and a focus on energy and climate change policy. Yeah, it really is that climate change policy that is front and centre of this discussion. What had happened is that Scott Morrison had been edging towards uh, looking at a policy of net zero emissions by 2050. That is a really big deal at the moment because as Morrison prepares for the next big international climate summit in November, it seems to be the baseline that's expected from nations at that summit. But Joyce and others in the nationals have been incredibly increasingly unnerved by that. Uh, That's because they believe that a policy like that would have big issues for the agricultural sector uh, and also sectors like mining and other parts of the Nationals' base support. So that's definitely one to watch. Lots of questions too about what sort of team Morrison and Joyce will make as they head into this final stretch of government. There's an election that's due in the next year. It was a busy day with National Cabinet meeting as well. Getting Australians immunised ASAP is the top priority, but that's got to happen within the new framework of advice around who gets AstraZeneca and who gets Pfizer. It's exactly right. And the goalposts keep moving. You'll remember last week, uh, the experts threw a new curveball at that COVID vaccination program, saying that the Pfizer vaccine is now the preferred dose for those under 60. Uh, That, of course, has all sorts of ramifications for supply uh, and also then targeting at states so that they get enough as the program rolls out. What we do know is that the Pfizer vaccine program will start to pick up some pace from August onwards, but particularly towards the end of the year. And Australians are getting increasingly impatient about it. 
The other big message was that if you've had your first AstraZeneca shot, regardless of your age, have your second. Based on the expected supply picture, Australia is on track, they say, to offer every eligible person in Australia a first dose of their vaccine by the end of 2021. Still in Canberra, there's an update in the Brittany Higgins alleged rape case. To recap quickly, Ms Higgins originally decided not to pursue a complaint with police as she felt the pressure would affect her job. Since going public, she referred the matter to the Australian Federal Police. It's now in the hand of the ACT's public prosecutor, Claire. Yeah, his name is Shane Drumgold. He's received that brief of evidence and what he says is that he's got to provide some advice about whether to proceed with that case uh, against the man that Brittany Higgins has accused of raping her. So there's a bit to go on that yet. There was a number of inquiries that were kicked off as a result of Higgins' accusations. Two of those are still ongoing. One is the look into what Prime Minister Morrison's office knew about the alleged assault that's being done by departmental head Phil Gachins. The other is the Sexual Discrimination Commissioner Kate Jenkins' inquiry into workplace culture in Parliament House. That report from Kate Jenkins is due in November. In big news in entertainment, the boss of Sony Music Australia, Dennis Handlin, has been removed as CEO of the company. It was rather an abrupt exit, Claire. Yeah, it was, and it might sound like sort of niche business news, but Mm. uh, Dennis Hanlon has been a titan of the Australian music industry. He's responsible for really getting the careers of acts like Delta Goodrum, Guy Sebastian, Midnight Oil, uh, John Farnham, Tones and I up and running. Uh, He has also been someone who's been around a very long time. He was Sony's longest serving employee worldwide, uh, and he had been CEO of the the Australian division uh, since 1984. So he's been around a very long time. In April this year, the company revealed that it had received staff complaints about bullying and harassment that led to the sacking of a senior executive. Uh, But what we learned last week is that there's a new external investigation happening, although there's no suggestion that Hanlon was involved in any improper conduct at work. The global boss of Sony Music said it's time for a change of leadership. On to international news, and Hong Kong's biggest pro-democracy newspaper, Apple Daily, could be set to close within days. The paper is known for publishing anti-China views, which puts it in trouble with the national security laws imposed on Hong Kong last year. Yeah, it's another sad development for Hong Mm. Kong as those curtains of democracy really seem to be closing there. Last week, there were 500 police officers that raided the Apple Daily's offices. We talked about that in the podcast. And uh, there was the arrest of the editor-in-chief and four others. Uh, Also, their assets were frozen. And what advisors to the company say is that they now don't have the money to pay staff and that could see them close because that is illegal in Hong Kong. I will give another plug for our Squeeze Shortcuts episode on Hong Kong, China and the issue of democracy because it's in the news a lot and this 10-minute episode will fill in some of that background if you're wanting to get across it. I'll put the link in your episode notes. 
We're just over a month out from the start of the Tokyo Olympics and the green light has been given for local spectators to attend events with a lot of stipulations, of course. Oh, so many terms and conditions on (laughs) that one. Uh, Venues will be held to a maximum limit of 10,000 spectators. That's if they have a capacity of 20,000 or more. And those smaller venues will have a capacity of 50%. So it's something that has been much anticipated and much talked about, about whether locals would be able to attend any events. It's already been said that international visitors are banned if they're just coming to watch. Spectators are allowed to clap, but they're not allowed to cheer. No cheering. No cheering. Squizzes might <laughs> Won't remember. Won't that be a spectacle? Yes. <laughs> Silent spectacle. Squizzes might remember the theme park from last year in Japan also <laughs> where the patrons were encouraged to scream inside their heart. Otherwise known, I think, Larissa, as your favourite story from 2020, (laughs) I think. Add to bring it up again. (laughs) Can't wrap up, Claire, especially as we're on the Olympics without congratulating sprinter Usain Bolt on the birth of his twins. How about those names? (laughs) One is named St Leo, which is actually Usain Bolt's middle name, so that makes some kind of sense. Uh, The other is Thunder. Thunderbolt. Had to be done, surely. <laughs> and they they join older sister Olympia Lightning. So <laughs> I reckon all the good Bolt adjacent names are gone. <laughs> I don't think Bolt can have any more children. I think it's done. Squeeze the day. Claire, what are you keeping an eye on today? New South Wales budget today. New South Wales is the biggest economy in the country, so there'll be lots of eyes on that. It's also Meryl Streep's birthday, Queen Meryl. It caught my eye because I saw recently that it's 15 years since The Devil Wears Prada was released. Oh, wow. Which makes me feel really old. Yeah, let's just move past that. (laughs) (laughs) We'll move past that and on out. Have a good one. Thanks for listening today and we'll be back with you tomorrow. This week, our podcast is brought to you by Aware Super, one of Australia's most awarded super funds. It can be hard to know where the best place to grow your super is, but with awards like CanStar's Outstanding Value three years in a row and Money Magazine's 2024 Ultra Long Term Performance, Aware Super's 1.1 million members can be confident their super is in good hands. Visit aware.com.au forward slash awards to find out more. Awards are only one consideration. Read the PDS and TMD on the website.